Ah, yes. It's that time again. It is, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's, go- what's going on? I'm a bachelor for the past uh, nearly 24 hours. My wife has gone to Las Vegas to visit her sisters. And, uh, yeah. It's always good to get me in bachelor mode, I think, Brandon. Oh, let's definitely. See what direction? <laughs> yeah, let's see what direction this goes this evening. <laughs> so... We got a bunch of listener questions. You've thrown out some questions, but I wanted to start talking about winter. Oh, okay. Wait, before we do that, you mm-hmm. sent me a package. Oh, do we need to do this unboxing? Let's do this unboxing, I guess. Fair well, enough. I couldn't, I couldn't wait. I already <laughs> unboxed it. Very and cool. I already put it in the DVD player. Ooh. But uh, I don't know. I got to get a different DVD player because my DVD player won't stop with the, this. I've never seen this feature before, descriptive audio. Oh, and uh so i tried to switch it to like every other subtitle for that film there's like so we're talking about um son of saul yeah uh in case anyone uh was wondering but um <laughs> it, i was like so excited to play it and and so i'm playing it and i'm like i tried every other every option there's like every subtitle possible and every i mean there's just a lot to pick from it but the descriptive audio is like you know there's like a it opens there's this kid like scrubbing a floor and then it's like so i wanted to shoot this scene oh that's the director's commentary now yeah i've got to correct you here these things are very important with my day-to-day work director's commentary it's i can't actually talk too much about director's commentary but let's just say director's commentary is a very descriptive audio is a different feature descriptive audio is where every minutiae is given with a voiceover and actually I rarely give big ups to Netflix in this podcast, but I've got to say, we have some amazing descriptive audio. So for folks that have Netflix, if you see our Marvel uh, cartoon series in particular, the real action, live action Marvel series, if you turn on descriptive audio, you will hear some of the funniest descriptive audio that exists on this planet. Little little hack there for Netflix. Well, computer. in the beginning, you know, like the credits are coming up yeah. and, it, it, and it is doing descriptive audio. Yeah. Ah. And it's like uh, oval with oak leaf in the middle, oh, and like oh, it's doing that. And then it went into the thing, and I was like, "Well, I don't know." It, it's like it, in the very beginning, it started doing descriptive audio. Maybe I switched something, and then it went to director's commentary. Uh-huh. But I, I'm trying everything, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it in a different DVD player and uh, try it out because I didn't want to ruin anything. I wanted it to, would be, you know, yeah, it would be rather ruined with. Direct commentary, <laughs> I think, in this instance. But, uh, <laughs> but thank you, because um, I needed something to watch. So this is going to be awesome. Yes. Well, hopefully you'll see us in the unmolested version. It's very audio minimal. I mean, basically, you need subtitles for a little bit of it. You could almost watch it without audio, I think. Uh, no, maybe not. There's a lot of yelling and pushing and stuff like that. But really, it's one of the most minimal language films I've seen in a long time. But the little bits of language are important, and yeah, I don't want to spoil it for you, but yeah, I'll let you work it out. Okay, awesome, thank you. Returning <laughs> to winter. <laughs> yes, winter the season? Winter the season. Oh. I mean, you hey, talk hey. so passionately about it, I just want to get a, a greater understanding of your love of winter. <laughs> um, I've been lazy with winter the past, p- past two winters. Every time... I don't know. I love winter, man, because it's that chance you could get off school, even though I haven't been in school forever. I still am like cheering for the people that are in school. I'm like, come on, blizzard. 
<laughs> let there be wipeouts everywhere. I was like, close the school. But um, yeah, of course I love winter because it, it, you know what? Let me say this. In If you live in like an area where you can handle the snow, then um, it's not as fun. Like I have a friend that lives in Massachusetts and everyone can deal with like three feet of snow. But we live in this perfect little spot where we get snow, but they people really can't deal with it. And people still try to like go out and deal with it. And like, you know, as soon as they forecast snow, eggs, bread and milk are gone. Like, like you're not going to be able to get out to the store for, for weeks, you know, months. It's every single time it's crazy. And then, um, you know, so it's like this awesome panic and it's so fun to watch. And, uh, and the more snow that comes, the worse it gets for people. And it's like, you know, it's like this mini apocalypse around here when, when it snows. So that makes it exciting, too, because there's really nothing to worry about. You know, I think a couple of years back, there was like we had lost power for like a week. Mm. And um, we were one of the last to get it on in like the area. <laughs> but even then, I'm like, oh, oh, like it's that bad, you know. But I love the snow. And if you're like going out and filming and taking pictures and stuff, it's just a whole nother free background that you don't usually get. You know, I love like the whole winter attire. I got some I've never skied in my life. I can ice skate, but I've never skied ever. I snowboarded once. I, I did. I just would rather go down a hill on it on an inner tube. Right. And um, I got a uh, cross country skis. So those are awesome. But regular skis, I have no I never did it. But Interesting. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's funny those things that cause places to like completely lose their shit. I mean, in Vegas and even here, rain has that effect. In Vegas, oh, really? In Vegas, they have warnings about rain. Now, I have been in one Vegas flash flood situation. My wife and I were driving in an old sedan that she'd had for years, and we were in a strange part of Vegas on Martin Luther King Boulevard, and they put out these alerts on the radio associated with flash flood rains and i've never seen a flash flood rain i mean i've been in like in australia we have wall of water rains and i've been camping and hiking through wall of water situations where you're just literally drenched to the bone like there's no air in between the rain it's just like solid water but in vegas it was just because they never really got the sewer systems right and things like that like the gray water and you know rainwater. They never really worked it out. So you could get occasionally stuck in these flash flood situations. But here, for probably the past five years, it just hasn't rained. It rained properly this last season. But our rainy season is opposite to your rainy season. Like, your rainy season is basically through the summer, right? Um, Yeah, th- yeah, it is now. This summer, it's been, like, monsoon galore, you know? But um, I guess we get a lot, too, like, hurricane season. Mm. Um end of august and into september okay yeah but yeah most of our rains are in probably december through to february if we get any and really when i used to live here in 2000 it rained all the time it was very similar where i'm from in australia canberra gray like eight months of the year i mean it's funny because it would snow if there was actual rain and it does probably once every decade snow in canberra <laughs> but just very gray and very cold And it was like that here when I was here in 2000. Then I came back, what, six odd years ago, and it was in, you know, no rain, emergency kind of drought stuff. We had reasonable rains last year, but still, yeah, 
it's funny when it rains here because no one can drive in the rain. As you say, not quite an extreme of like bread and eggs and milk and stuff, but people <laughs> just aren't used to it. It's so funny. Like, um, well, you know, winter without snow to mm. me sucks and mm. rain in winter kind of sucks too. Well, totally does. And so we're like on the, on a line where like an hour, not even an hour, like a half hour north of us, 40 minutes north of us gets a, a considerably more snow, but, mm. um, they probably can even deal with it better. So like right where we're at is, is really nice, but yeah, it is nice to see the panic. Yeah. <laughs> it's hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the listener things, another thing I wanted to talk about is the tornadoes. So I've listened to the tornadoes this week and I really like it actually. It's like fascinating oh. music. I mean, iTunes has a copyright <laughs> date on it. That's rather curious, but then I hit up Wikipedia and I just thought a lot of this music is probably stuff that your daughter likes as well, right? Uh, what, the Tornadoes? Yeah, does she listen to the Tornadoes with you? Uh, yeah, well, she'll hear anything I'm playing, yeah. I don't know if she likes that. She hears a lot of Tom Petty, uh-huh. <laughs> that's for sure. But yeah, she has heard that, but right now she's, um... No, I don't know if she likes it. It's hard to tell. She's, mm-hmm. She definitely likes playing music. Like, she's got a little piano thing, a little guitar thing, cool. and, um... And she's discovered dancing, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, yes. d- dancing's important in the house, so <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, listening to Richie Valens again is another. I mean, you mentioned that, and I, I, I played some of his back catalogue. I was thinking about the quality of the dead musician. Like a lot of these musicians, it's important where the musician dies. Now, obviously, recently a few more musicians have added themselves to the dead list, but yeah. the quality of like, I think of this with John Lennon in particular. Do you remember the death of John Lennon? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember my mom had the, had the TV on and the radio on in the kitchen, and she was, like, sewing something, and she, she was telling me. But I never really, I don't, I guess we listened to the Beatles a little bit then. My brothers maybe listened to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Yeah, we were on a train going to York in the UK, actually, when he passed, and it really affected my parents i listened to you know a lot of beatles and like lennon solo stuff but i was thinking about this with regards to kurt cobain as well i must have been one of the only people of my generation that missed his death like it was a period of time in my life i don't know what was going on i think it's through a period of time where i wrote about in my book field of chaos and i was just i had my head in my own stuff and i didn't even you know it took me like six months to hear that he died and I knew his music. I just, I guess I wasn't part of the MTV generation. I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and a friend of mine mentioned, I was like, what, Kurt Cobain died? And she's like, yeah, it died three, six months ago. I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> the funny thing is that when you're alive through the musician's music and then the musician passes, it's a different thing than when the musicians are already dead. Like the already yeah. dead musician, let's talk about Robert Johnson last recording. That has a very definite meaning, whereas a musician that you listen to and you're kind of into the music and then, you know, either they're killed or they pass away or, you know, drug overdose or suicide or whatever, you know, that's a different thing. And I think it changes the quality of the music. I was listening. I mean, the quality of uh, Richie Valens' music is in the audio recording. Like, it sounds old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't modernize it. The, the actual... Like, mechanisms in the recording, the microphones, you know, the tape that was recorded onto, it has this kind of old sound. And obviously, Robert Johnson is even more extreme than that in terms of just, like, mournful old music. 
yeah. yeah, that old sound. I like it. I, I heard that he built like some of the some of his uh, early songs. Well, he doesn't even have that many songs, mm. but like, come on, let's go. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I had heard that he actually built. I don't know if he built his first electric guitar, but he had like built it and, and like used that on a lot of recordings. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know how true that is, but yeah. Yeah, I like those old sounds. Have you ever built an electric guitar? Have you ever built an instrument like that? No, I've never built an instrument. No, I've never, definitely not built a guitar. When I was a kid, I don't know how old I was. I must have been about 13. I built an electric guitar, which was a guitar string, because I realized that it doesn't... I mean, you can build an electric guitar out of anything. It's just the vibration of the string. It doesn't need like a harmonic board like a violin or a double bass or anything like that. So I got an old piece of pine... And I had, I stretched out a string across it and I attached a battery to it, which you can actually do. You don't need a magnetic pickup. Attached a battery, connected a wire through to the speaker from the string and the battery. And that'll actually, you can actually play tunes on that thing. Really? And it was really very strange. I took it to, at the time, I was a boy soprano and the uh, choir, the choir master was convicted of pedophilia rather splendidly. So I is went this to join- Adelaide? No, no, no. This is Canberra. Adelaide, oh. Adelaide was like the first 18 months of my life and then kind of Christmases and holidays <laughs> since then. But no, this was in Canberra, <laughs> Australia. And the fellow was convicted of pedophilia. So I immediately changed choirs to another choir. And it was just like all like hippie kids. And it was all really strange. And I took it when I had composition camp and I went to and I took this electric guitar that I'd made. And I couldn't take it out because they were all far too cool and looked down on me with my divorced parents and my holes in my pants from a previous recording and these kind of things. So, yeah, I, I, but it was great fun to make and really easy to make, actually. All you need is a string that vibrates that hits the contact area of a battery and you wire it up to a speaker and you've got electric guitar. Now, real electric guitars, of course, um, rely on like the electromagnetic, like vibrations of the string. You don't need contact for it, but with contact, you can actually get quite good, uh, you know, you can play a tune with it at least. So. That's pretty cool. Anyway, let's get into the list of questions. Let's start off with, our listener Kenny is the only iTunes review so far left in the US. And if folks want other folks to listen in, now if you want, if you want to take aficionados to be our little secret, then that's fine. You don't have to leave iTunes reviews. But if you would like other folks to listen to Attic Aficionados, leave a few iTunes reviews. Well, an iTunes review each, let's just say. Kenny says, he's a long-term fan of your work, Brandon. And he says, this is totally different than anything you have ever done previously. In a good way. Uh, Tom is an excellent storyteller who keeps the audience engaged from beginning to end. Keep it up, guys. But I want to hear a podcast with the two of you in the same room. So, oh, well, someday in Jersey, I think, when Tom someday. comes here. Someday. <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm actually heading down to uh, Philadelphia. So I can actually probably record considerably closer. And with these, uh, what do they call them now? Airbnb things. You know, I, oh, could yeah. find, I could find a pad close to yours. Set up a D and D night, do a recording, but no, I, I have business in Philadelphia, and I thought, yeah, I'll just find a Airbnb close by. We'll work it all. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that would be. Uh, yeah, we could totally do that. When when are you doing that? Uh, what is it? August next year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> could be sooner. You never know. I could just get sick of this whole Bay Area thing and think, screw it. Let me find a place. <laughs> but um, yeah, either either August next year. Or in some hunting lodge in uh, West Virginia in the near future. Anyway, so um, we should probably point out, for folks that haven't worked this out yet, to Kenny's point, I record in California, and Brandon records in Pennsylvania. So 
there is actually quite a bit of distance between us, but um, it'll happen. Could be farther. Could be Adelaide. Could be. Yeah, that, <laughs> that would be really funky. I was thinking that if I moved to the UK, I would have to like record this thing at like 3 a.m. UK time, but we'd work that out too. Anyway. <laughs> List the topics. Mike Black asks, how about Halloween? What were your Halloweens like as children? What sort of costumes did you guys wear? Kick this off, Brandon. Ooh, I had a, I had a Gremlins costume. Mm. I had my mom made me a Gizmo costume yeah. for like fifth grade. You had like the Halloween party, you know, in school, and so she made this <laughs> enormous Gizmo costume. I mean, it was like it was big. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, Giz- that that's probably like that was like, that was probably my best Halloween costume. Uh, I made one for my daughter. So when she was one. And we went trick or treat, and I was like, "You are going to be Gizmo." <laughs> would, so I made it, and um, by the time I made it, like two months early, and she grew Ugh. in those two months. So those like leggings were like so tight getting on. I was like, "Come on, we just got to get a picture here." But um, yeah, definitely Gizmo, and uh, a lot of like Star Wars. I think mm-hmm. I was like Darth Vader, Chewbacca, and Boba Fett for like a decade. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, how about you? So I probably should point out that Halloween in Australia is in late spring. So it's a different kind of festival. And honestly, growing up, I mean, for me, it was any opportunity to dress up. It wasn't Halloween. But by the time I got to college, actually, there were a couple of occasions. I I went to a rather conservative Catholic college. I'm not a Catholic. I was put into this thing somehow. And they would have these theme nights where I just thought, I've got to come as the most offensive thing I can possibly come as. And Uh although now, in this country in particular, I've got to say to our American listeners, this would in no way be politically correct in this country. And really, honestly, it wasn't politically correct in Australia. I was just an angry, angry youth. I came as Louis Farrakhan (laughs) to one of the... uh, but they had an American night, and like people were there as cowboys and all that kind of stuff. No, I came as Louis Farrakhan, bow tie and all. Yes, I was wearing the particular makeup required for that. And American whole, night. <laughs> spent the whole night as Louis Farrakhan. So, what? Of all the things you could have picked. Yeah. I was a very angry young man. You could have been like Babe Ruth or like Abe Lincoln. <laughs> No, I wanted to be, I wanted to really, oh, and then they had, and the next year they had American Night again. You thought they would have thought about it. And I came, that year I was even more angry, and I came as diseased blankets, i.e. the things that killed, oh, it was maybe it was an Indian night. I don't know, maybe it was like an American Indian night. Anyway, I came as diseased blankets that, uh, that time. So, yeah. I'm sure everybody knew what you were. Yeah, well, <laughs> after Louis Farrakhan, where no one knew, like, you've got to imagine country Catholicism, like the evilest thing that exists in country Catholicism is Jews. Aside from that, like, they have no notion of, like, the nation of Islam. They have no notion of any of these things. So I had to actually explain individually in some cases who I was, how this was an American thing. I mean, you know, I probably could have taken a lot further, but Lewis Farrakhan won. Anyway, uh, Mike Black would also like to know what both of us think of Transformers, the figures and the cartoons. You want to start this off? 
So we have a secondary follow-up question associated with Transformers. I, I don't know. Uh, my perspective on Transformers is there's this thing now, which is the movie franchise. Let's just put that to one side. The actual toys are really fun. And I can't escape from the fact that the toys, I never had any of the major toys. I always had the, like, the little Transformers. I had a few friends that had an Optimus Prime and this kind of stuff. The, the one that uh, created the tape deck was, was one of my favorites as well. I have one friend that had that toy. Ooh, Soundwave. Soundwave. But, oh. um, aside from that, yeah, and the little cassettes that created other things. I mean, yeah, I, I would have loved to have had a Soundwave as a kid. But yeah, I think the toys are, <laughs> I think the toys are genuinely fun. I think, uh, I'm not sure what, what's the resale? What's the like market like for like original Transformers now, Brandon? There, you know what? That is not like my, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, I like Transformers. Like when mm-hmm. they came out, I liked them. I've never seen the movies here. The, the like the movies that yeah, are out the movies now. Movies are trainer. Yeah, I, they don't look. I don't even want to look at them. I, and a lot of my friends will be like, "What? You haven't seen Transformers?" Like a lot of people have seen them that aren't mm-hmm. even in the figures and stuff, but yeah. they look hideous. But the, I had probably had like growing up, I probably had like six Transformers. That's mm-hmm. it. And really. I liked Soundwave, the tape guy. He, I mean, mm-hmm. that was like the coolest one. And, and the tape, and the tapes that came out. And aside from that, I had a few other ones, but, um, they were, I, I remember they were sort of pricey mm-hmm. and they kind of came out after I was already into like, you know, GI Joe and he man yeah, and this, that. And I said, you know, I'd rather have, st- I'd rather have those if I could pick, but, yeah. um, their resale value, they're like, look at the toy cons and stuff. They're, I mean, they're just as expensive as any anything else. I mean, there's so many Transformers, and there's just so many versions and so many releases. I don't even know. Like, yeah. I have a buddy who's he's huge into Transformers. I don't know anything about it, and um, I basically am like, Soundwave's cool, and I I'm done. <laughs> do you own a Soundwave, and do you own any of the tapes? Yeah, I have. I have Soundwave, and uh, he comes with. I think does he come with Laserbeak? I'm pretty Ooh. sure is the bird. Yeah. I always wanted um Frenzy and yeah. Rumble. I believe oh, it's yeah. Rum- Rumble yeah. and Frenzy, the two little Certainly. tape guys. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what is Ravage? Yeah, that's. <laughs> he'd always let the tapes go. He'd be like, Ravage, Laserbeak, attack. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah. we would do, we would do that in school all the time, but uh, I didn't want the dog, mm. get the dog tape. Yeah, I think that's Ravage. I don't know or whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, he was cool. I liked Megatron. Uh, mm-hmm. Megatron had such a cool voice Certainly. and stars. I think Starscream is that Cobra Starscream. Commander. Yep, yep. I think it's the same guy. I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't. Um, someone gave me an Optimus Prime. He's like floating around the backyard. He's pretty beat up. <laughs> And I let my daughter look at it, and I was like, "Optimus Prime is so stupid." I was like, "Don't, don't play with that." <laughs> Have some goblins instead. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, look at these goblins. But um, I don't know. Yeah, Very that's good. it. Yeah, that's it for Transformers. I don't want to watch those movies. Oy, the movies. Anyway, moving on yeah. from the movies. Yeah. Stephen Vaughan asks the most exciting item you won on eBay, either a steal of a deal or for sentimental reasons. Who asked this? Stephen Vaughn. Oh, Stephen Vaughn, you've asked a good one. Uh, dude, I this is like, gosh, this is like or 2002, 2001. Mm. I was in like this 
inbred podunk town in like central Pennsylvania. And um, I was watching, I was in a hotel and they had like a little computer room and I was watching this eBay auction and um, it was for like a ton of GI Joes. And it was just all like the good stuff from like, you know, 82 to like, I don't know, you know, 88, whatever. And uh, so I'm watching this auction and it's going to go like the next morning. And I uh, I get up to to to, you know, watch it end. And um, the 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 internet goes out like i can't refresh the page and but i had luckily i had the like the item number written down and stuff and uh so i call rake uh, who is who's at work and oh i was goodness. like dude i was like here's all my info i was like dude you gotta log in and you gotta bid but i was like you, you gotta like wait i was like you can't go bidding with like a, a minute left you gotta wait like you see that minute it didn't have the timer on it like it does uh, now yes. like I'd, I'd i'd always have like two computers going you know course, and yeah. any you know and, <laughs> and like a second hand so i'm like you gotta refresh anyway he puts a bid in and i get like i don't know there must have been like almost 200 gi joes and it was like right around 100 bucks yes oh, what and and that that was good then, but it mm-hmm. wasn't even insanely good. And now it's like, man, you buy like fifty guys, it's gonna be like two hundred dollars, yeah. you know, two hundred fifty dollars, something like that. It's yeah, yeah that was awesome. There you did are no it. good deals left on eBay. That's my view now. I mean, I go on eBay periodically. The best thing I ever won, which is kind of a sad story, but I'll tell it anyway, is I bought an army that had been used at the like warhammer headquarters this was a imperial guard army it was part of a campaign called black hawk down which was a mock version of black hawk down except (laughs) with like anyway so that was a beautiful army that was probably about like 50 guys and tanks and a whole bunch of modifications and the fellow who painted it went on to work for a game studio called Climax, I think, that did a bunch of, like, you know, tactical and strategy games, war games, and this kind of stuff. Fascinating army. I came to this country in 2005, and basically, through a series of factors, we were ended up in Vegas. And we were just really low on funds. And I thought, well, I could put this back on eBay. I kind of felt, oh, you know, this is a beautiful army. What am I doing here? But I was like, no, we got to survive. So I put it back on eBay. I bought it. I bought it in the UK and I took it here to the US and I sold it for four times the price of the US. <laughs> so it's kind of a bit of, it's a bittersweet story because I don't know if I got a consulting gig just a little bit earlier, I probably wouldn't have sold the army. It was great to have it for a short period of time. I think that's my best eBay story. Oh, I got a, I got a reverse eBay uh, worst thing. I, when Michael Jackson died, oh, I had. Goodness. I had on eBay my Moonwalker arcade, the PCB, the board Ooh. for Moonwalker. Okay. It was on. It was already on there. Like he was alive. It was on there. It sells. He dies like that day. And somebody bought it like earlier in the day. Ooh. And <laughs> and uh, I was getting a um, traffic ticket, so I was like pulled over, and then I heard on the radio that my that he my Jackson died. And I was like, oh no! And then the prices of all those went like way up, uh, and that was sort of a rare game. I was like, oh come on! But they only went up for like a couple months. 
<laughs> when I left the UK, I sold a bunch of stuff on eBay. And two things which were really bizarre. One was like a video cassette or something where the woman never sent me the money and then threatened me and then found out my address and a bunch of stuff. The second one was I sold a turntable. And the guy received the turntable. It was in flight case and everything. It was like a proper travel DJ turntable. And then he said, two months after the fact, oh, it doesn't have, like, the top on it, the plastic top that comes down. No, it's in a flight case. I sold it as is. And then he, like, demanded, you know, some money back from that. But, yeah, thankfully, I mean, when I first started using eBay, again, you talk about, like, it must have been 2001 or 2000, actually, when I started using eBay, You'd order things, and, like, you'd order a two-disc set or something, and they'd just send you a disc. I mean, it was a lot more dodgy really early on in the start of it. And thankfully, they ironed out all these kinks, and they worked out the reviewing things. But I remember, like, when eBay first came out, it was the Wild West associated with yeah. bidding on stuff and getting it. I mean, it was just horrible. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... <laughs> hey, speaking of turntables, mm-hmm. is it Technics or Techniques? Oh gosh, oh my goodness. You're asking the wrong migrant question. <laughs> well, listen, when you come here in the year 2024, <laughs> I I have a Technics or Eeks mm-hmm. uh turntable that Ooh. um was given to me. It's um it's like in really good condition. Mm-hmm. And yes, it has the plastic thing on top. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I don't I I have, like, no records, man. I have, like, six records. So you can scratch them and ruin them all up. And uh, and when you come, um, yeah, nice. we got we to play around with that. Yeah, definitely. I, c- I can even bring some records with me. I've got plenty of records to bring. No, the the original Technics are really worth owning, and I don't currently. I periodically look at them and think, is it now the time? It's one of these things where DJing was really a time in my life. When I was in the UK, in fact, I bought a turntable here that was just so crappy. <laughs> I gave it to Goodwill. It was like on the, it was like on Amazon. It was just like, oh, the best, the greatest, best, latest turntable. It's so wonderful. It wasn't even weighted properly. I mean, like very basic fundamentals of the turntable were just really, really bad. Just took it to Goodwill. Like it was a Christmas gift to myself and then took it to Goodwill by about February. Because it just wasn't working out. But no, original techniques are really beautiful turntables. And when I used to DJ in clubs, that was what was always there. I mean, it was the default kind. And they're, they're very, very nice when you, you know, get them in their pristine conditions. Yeah, it's it's like barely used. Uh, and it was definitely not used for mixing. So <laughs> Very nice. Def- yeah. I'll abuse it in your company. Yeah, but. you can. I'm using it as a rotating stand for action figures right now. So. <laughs> There's no music being played on it. Very good. Very good. Well, at least you can control the speed of the rotation, right? Yeah, it's really smooth. I'll tell you. It's pretty pretty nice. I actually almost gave it to the Purple Heart. It was like in a pile. And I was like, I techniques, techniques. I was like, I think that means something good. I was like, can I just send you you a check for $200 and you put that aside? And if you think you're doing that again, just send it to me. I'll I'll, I'll send you a check for $200. Keep it inside. If I'm going to get rid of it, you can just have it. I, uh, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I could make my action figures spin around on this thing. I also got a ceiling fan I'm going to install. And, um, if you don't know this and you like toys and you like ceiling fans, well, 
listen to this. Ninja Turtles, their hands fit perfectly on the blades of most ceiling fans, Ooh. and they're snug. And you can get that sucker whizzing around. And, you know, like they got that rubber ball up where the shaft kind of hits the base mm-hmm. of the uh, – yeah. So you put them on all the blades, and then as they fly off, it starts wobbling around, whacking the ceiling. Oh, it's awesome. Those suckers go flying, man. You got to crank it up. So I – I suggest not doing that. But right. do you attach a GoPro? Is GoPro like your camera of choice with regards to spinning? Or do you just, I mean, I've seen one of your YouTube videos. You're like flinging around a guy in a, a plane and then he flies oh, yeah. out, which is a beautiful effect. Uh, is that with uh, a GoPro or how do you actually film that? That was a GoPro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? I love GoPro, man. I love, dude, you can beat the living crap out of those things. Like, my dad knocked the GoPro off the table. It wasn't in any kind of like protective case mm-hmm. or anything. It went right into the bowl of cat water for my cat. I mean, it was like a one in a million shot went in there. I just took it out and like it just it didn't even flinch. It just mm-hmm. keeps working. I was like, oh, yeah. I launched it off my roof without a case. Like I stuck it on a car and put some mm-hmm. GI Joes in it, just bouncing right off the thing. <laughs> the thing is like so awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Stephen Vaughn also asks, collecting non-sports cards. What are your thoughts on this, Brandon? I don't know. Any non-sports cards is, is like WWF. That's still a sport, isn't it? Or is mm, it? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I have, I've, I mean, in the UK, there's this thing which was historically called Top Trumps. You can still buy it <laughs> as that brand. It's basically like numbers on the cards. Each of the cards have like <laughs> stats on them. And okay. you play it as a card game. I mean, the ones that I have are combat cards, but the Games Workshop branded cards from the late 80s. And they have pictures of miniatures, like finely detailed painted miniatures with like stats, like strength and what have you. So you get together with your buddies. They used to have things like submarines and race cars and stuff like that. And you'd say speed, you know, 48 or whatever. And someone had speed of 50 and they'd win this kind of stuff. So <laughs> I've got, um, I've got the combat cards version. I've got them sealed away and they're kind of fun because they've got like old miniatures painted and what are the kinds of cards i was thinking about this i've got a few different kinds of cards that fit into this non-sports cards, but none of them are collector's cards i mean i never got into like magic the gathering or anything like that and obviously they have their own you know value but yeah you know historically i'll collect some of these things the trump's cards i don't know maybe i did buy a trump cards maybe i do have like race cars somewhere dude i when they said non-sports cards, and you, I was thinking you were going to say you had cards of like, like Thomas Edison and Albert Einstein. Oh, like stat. stat cards. I'm sorry, Tom. Lightning. Speed. Speed. <laughs> yes. Uh, I had you know now that now that we're talking about it, I had when the Gulf War was out, Thomas put out Gulf War. Uh, cards it was mm. so weird and it was like uh, oh who were the commanders and generals uh oh it was, it was everybody i mean there'd be cards with planes on it and there'd be cards with like you know this general uh mm-hmm. oh there was like a whole set I, I remember i had them all but one card i couldn't find i was like i'm done getting doubles this stuff sucks <laughs> <laughs> and i do have a uh, a collector set of gi joe cards uh, mm. It's weird. I never even opened it. It's sealed. I mean, like it's going to be worth anything. I should just open it and look at it. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, that's it. Interesting. So Stephen Vaughan also asks, 
first comic book ever read, and do you still have a copy of it? You start. So, for me, Conan the Barbarian had a really strong impact on me. A kid... Actually, it's the same... It's the same kid... This will come up with favourite animals as well. It's the same kid who I talked about last time with the Trail of Blood. He came back from California in 1983, and he had Conan the Barbarian comics. I've never seen anything so violent and grotesque. I mean, prior to that... There was probably a Spider-Man or two. The thing that I really liked was actually the ads in the comics, not the yeah. comics themselves. Like the x-ray glasses, sea monkeys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These dominated my childhood. Then finally I found like some scientific company in Australia that would actually send you brine shrimp. And I've, <laughs> after like, you know, six months of just like doing research and all this bullshit, these things turned up, put them in the water... You must need a really strong magnifying glass to make those things look anything interesting. <laughs> but yeah, so all that stuff. But it was mainly through the, um, you know, the crazy, like, spy glasses. There were other things, like, you could send away and they'd send you books that would teach you about various professions. I mean, there were some crazy ads in comic books. Anyway. Yeah. They did have awesome ads. Um, they, yeah, I remember I would just go right for the ads as well. Interesting. Uh, oh, like mine's. Mom... My brother had a copy, the first one I can remember reading. He had a Captain America, mm. and he, I, he only had one. I mean, you know, it wasn't like he bought Captain America comics, but on the cover, I was just thinking about this. I was going to look it up and try to find it. Captain America was on the cover, and it was like, wow, it was, it was such a cool cover. He's like in a sewer. He's mm. all beat up. His costume's torn up, and rats are like biting him. <clears> like <throat> someone just beat him down, threw him in the sewer, and the rats are eating him, and it's like, he's mm. got rips everywhere, and I just... I would always look at that cover, and uh, and that so I read that one. But I really like um, there's a comic called Bloodshot. Mm. Uh, guy's got like a circle on his chest, a red circle on his chest. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they make it, but uh, that was a cool comic, man. Very cool. Yeah. He also asked Hot Wheels versus Matchbox versus Micro Machine. Ooh, yeah, I saw that. I I think in that order for me. Hmm. So for me, I mean, we did get Hot Wheels later but basically matchbox owned australia matchbox also did like tiny little in fact i've got some painted i sent when my miniature painting friend was still painting miniatures i sent him a box of matchbox british commandos they have a little boat and some ladders and a bunch of little things so matchbox basically owned australia and if you're going to get cars in that size matchbox cars were the only size cars you're going to get hot wheels came a little later but they were a little bit too late for me micro machines much much later but for me, Matchbox cars, I mean, the toy store that I told you about, Time Tunnel Toys, where you get all these, like, eclectic old toys. Yeah. They had a Matchbox car from Australia from 1972, and I bought that instantly, sight unseen. Um, but, yeah, it was Matchbox for me, later Hot Wheels. But really, yeah, it was, Hot Wheels were too late. But, yeah. Got a, um, my dad came home one time with this box. One of the guys he worked with was... I guess his kids had grown up and they were throwing out mm. Hot Wheels, the orange tracks. Mm. So he comes home with this box. <laughs> it was enormous and it was just tons and tons of orange track. And then like um, I think it's called a speed shop where like mm-hmm. the wheel. Yes. Right. So he had there were some of those in there and then there was like um, lap counters and um, man, there was a bunch of stuff. And then but it had like the starting block and the finish gate. 
uh, finish mm-hmm. line. So I would race them all the time. I mean, I like the cars, but once we got that, it was like Hot Wheels here. I'm not sure if Matchbox had a metal bottom, but Hot mm-hmm. Wheels definitely did. And they were always faster. They, I don't, I think just because they weighed a little more. They, yeah, all, they do like, weigh more. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always went with Hot Wheels, but I had this one car in particular. And my little uh, scumbag nephew, man, I don't know what he did with it. I went on eBay and bought it again, but it's not the original. I don't know what he did with it. It's, it's, I believe it's a Buick. It's black, but it's um, the Haley Comet anniversary car. Haley's Comet. Wow. Yeah. So I went on. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, there's like three different versions of it. One, there's like sirens on the top of it. But this is just like just no sirens, just the Haley's Comet car. So I went on and bought it again. And I was like, I wonder if it'll be just as fast. And dude, it rips it up, man. It is freaking awesome. I, it's so we have the track set up in the basement, and I showed my daughter how to like start them in the block, push the button in, and they go down. And so we still raise them. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Very good. You mentioned that actually coming out of your attic. That is this something that came out of your attic that you then moved to the basement and set up, or? Has this yeah. always been set up, or is this recent? Um, well, I actually got more when I was cleaning out the attic. I brought more of the parts down. Cool. Um, but I had some set up. I put a bunch of turns in it, and mm. uh, yeah, that some of the cars are so fast, man. They just fly <laughs> out of the turns. But yeah, it's sort of all over the house right now. Very good. Very good. Carmine Ceratelli Jr. asks: Transformers versus Gobot. Did you did you have GoBots? So GoBots, this you've got to be worried when a franchise is so paper thin that it has to go by different names in different countries. <laughs> in Australia, GoBots <laughs> were called Machine Men, and they were really quite. I actually quite liked them because they were more square. They were like turtles, basically. They were like square turtles, and with little things that kind of popped out. They were not Transformers in any way, shape, or form. But they certainly yeah. had their own form factor. And early on, like, for example, my friend who used to run the Choose Your Own Adventure, eventually D&D campaigns, he had a couple of machine men. And I played with them quite a bit, actually. I mean, they were kind of, when you looked at them, when they were converted into the, you know, machine form, car, what have you, they looked considerably different than the robot. Unlike some Transformers, you can kind of tell what they are. Basically. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Whereas these ones almost had like, um, like I have a friend that likes these strange Japanese box or Chinese box puzzles. We have this strange box and you've got to do all these tricky things and then, you know, various secret chambers come out of them. The uh, machine men or gobots, as they were called here, were like that. Many of them actually had little tricks to get the arms and legs and various other things to come out. So they were a harder toy to master. And they actually, in that way, gave a lot more time, focused time trying to actually work out how to transform them into their like robot form versus their machine form. Did you have any exposure to GoBots? Yeah, I, I had one GoBot, and I remember seeing GoBots in the store one mm. time. I remember kids in school had them all of a sudden, and then I saw one in Kmart and was like, oh, GoBots. And they were like gone after that, and then like Transformers yeah. were around. But I had the blue guy. He was a blue car. Mm-hmm. I still have him. And then somehow I traded down the road for like a pl- – there was a plain guy. I think he's mm-hmm. like t- gray and dark green. Mm-hmm. I think he's a Goa. Uh, I like – I actually – if I had to pick, I probably like Gobots better because yeah. 
you know, like the Transformers, Soundwave can do it, but most of the other ones, like, they can't, like, they can't fight each other. Like, they can't even move, you know? Like, (sighs) heaven forbids you could, like, sidekick somebody or, like, punch the other, you know? Like, come on. This is so stupid. But Soundwave's good. He's got legs. He's got arms. I love him. Yeah. But, yeah, I do like the GoBots. I I don't know. They're pretty cool. Definitely. Carmine also asks, Penny Racers. Did you? Yeah, dude. Yes, I, I, my friends had them. I didn't have them, but we would play with them. They were cool. Did you have those? No, they seem to be like a toy. I looked them up online when Carmen asked about them. I think they just either completely missed Australia or they were just later that for me. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I didn't know penny races at all. You know what? They were cool. I believe penny races. You pull them back, put the penny in them, and they mm-hmm. go forward and do wheelies, yeah. if I remember. But yeah, we um. We, I was looking for this at the last toy convention. Uh, I don't know the name of the – I want to say just a pull cord. And like a lot of times it would be like a motorcycle. You'd get it and mm-hmm. you'd have this plastic – there'd be a gear somewhere and the pull Certainly. cord kind of yeah. – yeah. Those – we used to have these little motorcycle guys. <laughs> Man, we would pull them. They, those things would take off. Oh, yeah. They were so fun. We'd build like ramps for them and stuff. I love those things. I think penny races must be – I mean Australian currency, we did have pennies. But they were very different in size than U.S. pennies. So that might be it, that they were made for U.S. pennies, which is why it didn't translate to Australia. Anyway. Yeah, maybe it is. How big are your pennies? Uh, larger. In fact, they were gotten rid of... We got The copper industry does most of its exports in Australia. It's not about actually like retaining the copper within the country, like the copper industry in the U.S. is. So yeah. pennies were phased out, I don't know, sometime in the 90s, I think. We had, okay. a, we had a two penny, which was really big. <laughs> And that was, well, it was two cent. It was, yeah, so one cent and two cents. Um, but, yeah, both of those were phased out well before I left Australia in the mid-90s. Can't say I miss them. Anyway, Carmen also asks, what's your favorite non-guitar solo? <laughs> I, had, I had this in my head. Oh, man, you better go. James Brown Funky Drama, without question. I mean, I think... Nothing has changed music more than James Brown Funky Drummer. And it's amazing. There are various other drum beats that have, you know, drum solos that have made the waves. Um, gosh, now you're testing me. Well, obviously, the uh, Led Zeppelin uh, opening drum beat to something is used pretty heavily. And there's another one, um, Big Beat by, I can't think of the guy's name. Anyway, so, yeah, there are a few drum solos that have made an impact but it has to be james brown fucking drummer has, has yours come to you brandon uh no but there i love uh i don't know how much of a solo it is but it's really heavy on drums is um it's zeppelin it's physical graffiti too i think it's a second disc it's mm. uh, in my time of dying is good mm. Mm. yeah uh there's probably a drum solo in there but it's that's that's like the, my favorite uh drumming of zeppelin mm. um Oh, I don't know. No, nothing's coming to me. I had something totally. It'll come to you. When it comes to you, stop the recording. We'll get to it. Let's <laughs> move yeah. on. And if it comes yeah. up again, we'll, we'll come back to it. Ron Kleiss asks, what's the one thing that will never end up in the dumpster? If you were given the choice of one thing to keep out of all your collections, what would it be? Radine Shogun Warrior. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. They never That's go in the trash. That's been with you for like a majority of your life, right? Yeah, those things are like the holy grail. Yeah, yeah, they're so cool. I'm like, no way. Hmm. Yeah. How about you? Um, 
I ebb and flow. It's an interesting question. I mean, I've talked about the book written soon after the Holocaust. I think in my book collection, I'd probably keep that one. Um, I've got, I mean, I like the Fidel Castro squat. I think basically the Fidel, it's like a little dwarf, um, looking like Fidel Castro with a scar in his mouth and a machine gun on his back. I think that's probably the one that I'd keep representative. Very cool. Kenny Horn. I wonder if he's the same Kenny. He might be the same Kenny who left the, uh, iTunes review. Kenny Horn, if this is you that left the iTunes review as well, thank you. Anyway, he Ooh, wants dude. us to, Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I just learned the Spanish word for horn, and I can't remember it. Oh, <laughs> dude. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Anyway, Kenny Horn asks, he wants us to do some lists. So I created some lists. I kind of asked you through the week if you'd create some. You didn't, but you liked some of my lists by the looks of things. So I'll let you start oh. with this one. Top five rappers of all time. Oh, okay. Cool G rap. Uh, Tupac. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dre. Mm, interesting. Um, oh, come on. I don't want to leave anybody out. That's really good. I like Shinehead, even though he hardly has any songs. Uh, uh, oh, I only got one left. <sighs> Who do I really like? Who am I always playing? Oh, it's so tough. I love Easy E. Yeah, I, I like Easy E's voice so much. It's got to be easy. Yeah. 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 Here are mine. They follow a theme, which I guess I just made it follow a theme. Ice Cube, the early Ice Cube in particular, Ice T, basically the majority of his catalogue. Willie D, often slept on in terms of ghetto <laughs> boys. I like Willie D. Chuck D, for obvious reasons. And finally, KRS One. I've got to say KRS. Very nice. Life. Yeah, very nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like Ice Cube, too. I had a fellow I knew in Montreal who once battled KRS-One and won, and I tried to find the video. The video was on Facebook for the longest time. Funny guy, actually. He and I were, like, close friends for a long period of time, and then we had a falling out over some issues. But to see someone actually battle KRS-One, because, I mean, KRS-One is a battle rapper, first and foremost. Just amazing stuff to watch, just the dissection and how they kind of work their way through these things. Top five lists. Let's continue. Top five wait, animals. Wait, I gotta oh, go sorry. back. Busta Rhymes is so good. I think he's rapped every word. Mm. Busta uh, Rhymes. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Not at all. I couldn't leave him out. Very good. <laughs> he said some interesting periods, actually. I do. I own some Busta Rhymes, actually. I, I, like, I mean, he hasn't been around for a while. I, dude, I, I like his voice. I, I always liked him. Oh, yeah. Flip mode. Yes. <laughs> some of those albums. Yeah, I like Busta Rhymes. He's one of the few rappers that will actually do... He'll actually show where he samples from, which I think is particularly nice. Like, he has a lot of... Like, the prior track, he'll do intros where he shows where he takes the sample from for the next song. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, top five animals. I'll let you start with this. Top <laughs> five animals? Yeah. I like, uh, I saw some otters recently. They were doing just like they that were supposed cool. to, flipping around. Uh, I like a circus seal. Mm. Um, actually, just a seal. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Tiger. Mm-hmm. Condor. Mm-hmm. Uh, house cat. That'll do. Very good. Is that, is that five? Is that four? Uh, otter, seal, tiger, condor, house cat. That looks otter, seal, tiger, hunt. Yes, that's five. Right. Yeah, okay. Okay. Mine are crab-eating macaque, or long-tailed macaque. That's a particular kind of monkey 
from Malaysia. Well, actually, it covers most of Southeast Asia. They are just the coolest monkeys ever to see. The palace cat, or palace's cat, depending on who you talk to, which is like a Russian cat that looks like it was created by Jim Henson. It's just a crazy-looking critter. The dingo. I have spent some quality time in the company of dingoes. They are amazing creatures. I was going to say house cat as well, but in particular, I like Persian domestic cats. I've owned one Persian in my life, and I'm going to own another Persian based on that one Persian. And finally, octopuses. I, like I almost said that octopuses, but but they're they're oh they're 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 material of nightmares. So I left them out. I didn't <laughs> want to think about. Uh, I, you know what? I got to take two off my list. I just threw otter and seal out there, and they, I, they didn't. They don't really mean anything to me. I, I'd like to retract those and put two others in if I may. Certainly. You may. Uh, I love squirrels. Oh yeah, love, uh, Lee Webb hates them. He shoots them. I ha- I hate them for that. And I love seagulls. Uh, uh, you could take the condor off the list. The seagulls are so friggin' awesome, dude. I love when they attack people with french fries on the boardwalk. Does um, he web suits squirrels? Does he, what, yeah. use an air gun or something? Or how does he do it? Uh, yeah, he's so simple. He, he hates them when they eat stuff in his trees and like eat, he's like, I don't even know what they're eating in his yard that he possibly needs. But they like shoot at the squirrels. I'm like, why don't you just throw some peanuts in the yard or some scraps and they'll just yeah. eat that instead because they're just millions of them here. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. One time he made squirrels. He, like he shot a squirrel and then he cooked it up and then like he like forced me to eat it and I ate it because I didn't want to be rude. And there was like squirrel hairs all over it too, Tom. It was so disgusting. Oh, <laughs> it was so disgusting. Had a pretty good gravy for it, but. Oh. Yeah, no, squirrel gravy. I mean, yeah, you can't. But yeah, no, I do understand. Where we used <sighs> to live in the UK was a place called Wilmslow, which may come up later this recording in a future recording as well. The squirrels there were so unbelievably fat. Like, the cats were fatter, so they wouldn't chase the squirrels. I once saw a squirrel with an entire piece of buttered toast in its mouth running along the fence beside me. I mean, they would just, like, rob the trash for whatever was there. And this squirrel was using it almost like an air fin as it was running with this piece of toast in its mouth. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Fat squirrels. Dude, our, our friend Lendon, he's a friend of me and Arts, and I'm sure you've probably met Lendon or heard of him. So, he, um, he's, well, let's just say he's, he, he should clean off his back porch because he's got raccoons that come up to his, his back door, his sliding glass door, and they just grub down on his garbage, right? And yeah. they're so chill that when you go up, I put my face on the glass. I mean, I pushed my face up against the glass. I got that on my knees. I was like, let's see how often these things are here. How used to like people that this raccoon was just eating a pizza box and just looking at me. I mean, we're like a millimeter apart. I was laughing so bad. I was like, look at your backyard, man. It's like, it's like the great outdoors with the, with the, uh, with the raccoons, you know, talking with subtitles. Oh, Anyway, raccoons, I've never experienced raccoons in real life, and I've always wanted to because they strike me. For a start, they have opposable, like, thumb claw things. So yeah. they have the manual dexterity of, like, primates on some level. And they just strike me as being really, really smart in a kind of conniving way, which I just want to see in <laughs> while There are various domesticated raccoon channels on YouTube, which I've found, and occasionally other people reference. And the people, particularly in the South, that, like, train raccoons, there's one guy where he's, the raccoon comes and massages his back and things like that. Like, they've trained yeah. to do really strange things. 
And yeah. Then, apparently they'll do it for food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just like big squirrels. Okay, top five places you want to visit where you have never been. In present time, or is this like a time traveling possibility? Uh, let's let's well, let's say present time. Oh, I knew you were going to do that. Okay, let's oh. say time traveling. Okay, I'll throw time oh, no, traveling back. No, I'm, it's bachelor night. I'm gonna I'm gonna behave here. Very good. <laughs> um, top five. Yeah, so top five. many. Everything looks so much better in pictures. Uh, that I haven't been to. Mm-hmm. That you haven't been I, to. I, 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 well, okay. My buddy just went to this place in tennessee literally he was telling me about this today he just got back and Mm -hmm. he stumbled upon like a great um antique place and there was Mm -hmm. just millions of gi joes there so i'll i'll take that place and you better pick it up okay (laughs) top of my list is cuba i i talk about Ah. cuba so much people i talk to about cuba go and visit cuba which pisses me off more than anything so Cuba is up there. I'd like to go to Japan. I'd like to go to Tokyo. I've never been to the, either uh, Cuba nor Tokyo. There are various parts of Russia that interest me. I mean, St. Petersburg, I've had friends recently that have gone there. I'd like to go there. I've got a friend in Jordan, which it sounds just really cool. I mean, he has a farm where, like, John the Baptist baptized people. And Holy it's really crap. close to the Israeli border. Uh, probably Israel as well. I've not been to Israel. I got a scholarship to go to Israel when I was 19. And that whole thing didn't work out. That's for a future recording of Attic Aficionados, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it involved a woman, as these things did. And anyway, um, it's had five yet. Cuba, uh, Tokyo. Uh, Russia. Yeah, Jordan, yeah, Jordan, Israel. That's my five. I've done it. I think Austria, Switzerland. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Look, Austria is really, really beautiful. Austria's got to be, you've got to visit Austria. I uh, I love my time in Austria. Switzerland's okay. Switzerland's a bit it's a bit schizophrenic, right? You go in one part of them, they're speaking one language, you go another part of them, literally <laughs> like five minutes in a different direction, they're speaking a completely different language. But yeah, look, it's beautiful. I mean, the lakes and all this kind of stuff, you know, Switzerland is just extraordinary. Yes. How about Wales? I, I would pick Wales as well. Wales is Wales is another beautiful place that I've been to only very recently. When we lived in the UK, we never went to Wales. We went there last year, and I've got to say, Wales is amazing. Yeah, well, that's probably it. You could pick somewhere else around here. <laughs> Not like in the next town over, that's fine. Okay, <laughs> top five places where you have been. San Diego was cool. Um, of course, Vermont. Um, well, Ocean City, hands down. That's three. Um, boy, Las Vegas Pizza in Westchester has mm. like great Sicilian pizza. Mm, I'll, that's a place i'm taking it and um oh man that that's it i'm so only gonna come and visit in 2018 yeah where's the best sushi in your area taikoku taikoku good taikoku is the best sushi in the area there's other places that are like oh, our sushi house and this and that and then there's some like real high-end ones in philadelphia mm. we i've been all of them they are nothing compared to taikoku very good yeah, what makes and a good it's like, sushi house for you? The quality um, of the fish, the diversity yeah. of the fish. Yeah, the quality of fish. I mean, if they can't get the most like basic sushi oh, yeah. right, then then just forget uh, it. And uh, there is another place close by. No, forget it. Taikoku. Very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a local Italian restaurant that opened up a sushi house. I'm going to be interviewing my coworker Derek, who's also an Attica fish about his listener. I can probably regale more about this. Anyway, this Italian restaurant that I wouldn't rate. 
Like, they dropped the steak on the floor and then tried to serve it to me the first time I went there. Anyway, they decided, because, hey, everyone's got a sushi <laughs> place, that they were going to open up a sushi restaurant. Oh, my goodness. Train oh, wreck. Dude. Absolute train wreck. The rice came to you hot. Like, sushi, like, assembled sushi with hot rice, so the fish smelt fishy. The whole thing was just really bad. Sushi can go wrong in so many different ways. Anyway, uh, I was going to give you top five places where I have been. Yeah, uh, yeah. F- for me... And this may or may not come up in film references, but there's a place in the UK called Wilmslow that I lived for three and a half years. This is a place I want to go to die. I went back for a day, which was very much akin to the um, movie AI, the Kubrick movie AI, where the boy has one final day to live and he goes back with his mother and what have you. I had one day in Wilmslow. The night before, I had um, I was staying in a hotel and it had a spike that they used to hold the bed together. Basically, a three-and-a-half-inch spike had skewered my side and put, like, a four-inch gash in it. So I'd slept absolutely no time previously. Had to move, oh. kept my wife asleep, all this kind of stuff. They paid me £3,000, actually, based on this incident. So this is the really? one of the few times where I've injured myself and actually got a payout after about three months. Anyway, Wilmslow <laughs> for a day, it was just, like, a surreal thing. It was, like, three and a half years of my life. So, Wilmslow is definitely at the top. There are literally hundreds of places like Wilmslow in the UK, but just for me, Wilmslow was like that. I love Adelaide. You know, my wife doesn't particularly like Adelaide, but I like Adelaide, and I'd like to go back at some stage. I've got a bunch of family members, and the restaurants are great, lots of great walking. It's just a wonderful city. Then it gets more interesting. So, then it gets more interesting. I can stand Sydney, I like certain areas of Sydney, and I actually, Sydney's like a drop-off point. My mother has a place in Sydney, so when I come to Australia, I always stay in Sydney for a few days, and I've started to own Sydney as a place. My hometown of Canberra, Australia, eh, give or take. My wife absolutely loves Canberra. Uh, not so much for me. I like Bonn in Germany. Bonn is very similar to Canberra, and if I was going to put in Berlin in Germany is absolutely, like if you have any interest in history and the Cold War and anything like that, got to be berlin so very nice another question from kenny horn oh my goodness i have so many of these i'm gonna have to let you start with this thing because i'll just digress very rapidly worst vacation experiences oh dude it's always the same place and it's always awesome uh i'm sure i'm 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 sure i'm forgetting forgetting something worst vacation experiences no i always go to the same place I love it. <laughs> so when you were a kid, you didn't try strange vacation locations? No, never. It was never. always the same place. Never. Wow. Yeah, we always just like the same place, you know, <laughs> but never. Interesting. I've, I've never seen my parents get on an airplane, hmm. ever. Now, my dad has in recent years, um, but uh, <laughs> no, no, never. We never. I've never been to Disney World or Disneyland or anything like that, you know. So it was always the yeah. Jersey Shores? It was, that was always. always the location? Yeah, sometimes. No, yeah, that's it. I went up to the, the mountains a couple of times. Mm. But that's, I mean, the mountains here, just instead of going two hours east, go two hours north, you know? Yeah. Well, you better start and digress. I'm going to have to kick this I, thing I, off. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, my goodness. It. Okay, my father has been married four times. My mother was his first wife. His second wife... <laughs> That was when he would begin to tell this story. I've already been congratulated by certain listeners about being a good storyteller. I really hadn't planned how I was going to put this one out, but let me just put this thing out here. My wife met my father's second wife for the first time in 2009. 
My father's second wife lives in a penthouse looking out over Canberra with the proceeds that she got from divorcing my father. She bought a penthouse. (laughs) That's just an introduction to her. When my father and her were married, they would go on vacation and they would take me and my brothers with them. And I have never been... Step-parents are always difficult because they really don't give a fuck about you. This is actually going to come out somewhere later when we start talking about horror movies, <laughs> if we get there. But I've just been on so many bad vacations with the, my father and my stepmother. And it was always vacations where, like, I would get sick somehow. When I was young, I'm about six foot three and a half, six foot four. I did a lot of growing in 11 through to 13, 14. I had no energy, so I would just get sick at the drop of a hat in all circumstances. So we'd go typically in the middle of winter to, like, the beach, coastal areas, what have you, and I would always get some, like, whooping cough or some, like, (laughs) congestion (laughs) thing. And we were always in, like, these tiny quarters where if I even let out, like, a cough, my stepmother would just go off on me. And, man, I just had hellish holidays, just vacations from hell. And I remember, really, these are all repressed memories. It's probably best just to move past these. My wife would say that when we started dating, or actually it was when she moved to the UK, we had a bad vacation. We went to Euro Disney, because my wife is a Disney aficionado, and we stayed in this place, in a place called Mio. I didn't get the on, whatever, on-site hotels, another Disney-branded hotels, And this hotel was, like, in the middle... It's a medieval town. It's beautiful. But it had, like, wolves that would howl and things like that. And um, we were staying in a hotel which had been sold to me as, a like, a nice hotel. It was being completely renovated. The floor we were on, we were the only room in the floor. All the lights were blacked out. It was a pretty extreme trip. Thankfully, I I was the one who had to speak confrontational French. My wife didn't have to deal with any of that. But yeah, that was probably on the, like, I think my wife always talks about that as being the worst vacation she was ever on. And I was responsible oh. for that because I like planned out the vacation. I bought all the tickets. I tried to make it all nice and everything was just completely. But part of that is Euro Disney is really, or I mean, it was then a way that the French could stick it to Americans. I'm not sure if it was, it was before September 11th. So things hadn't gone really nasty. But it was pretty insane how bad the French people, like the people in Euro Disney, they were fine in the countryside. I mean, we went to like Gothic cathedrals and stuff and the towns were wonderful. You know, the French were really friendly. But within Euro Disney itself, or as it's now called Disneyland Paris, these people hated Americans. And what was (laughs) particularly curious is that I speak French, right? But I speak French only in times of confrontation. I speak French only at times where I have to argue with someone. I can cuss in French and all this kind of stuff. So you ask me to speak French now, I'm useless. You put me in the middle of France <laughs> with people. Like, they would say, you know, this restaurant is fully booked. And there was no one sitting down. There was no one eating in the restaurant. And then I'd have to argue in French to try and get him. But yeah, I think that would be my <laughs> wife's worst vacation ever. But oh my goodness. We will get to my father's third wife in this recording when we get to horror films, if we get there. Uh, Adam Sarsky asks, his questions are always good. What are your personal thoughts, I guess it's aimed at you, Brandon, on what makes a good arcade versus a horrible one? Oh, lighting and carpet. Yeah, you gotta have good lights. Mm-hmm. And uh, you gotta have some good carpet. 
Mm. <laughs> and it's got to be dark, you know. Let the games light the place up. Oh, interesting. And um, and no, you know what? The less big, bulky, sit-down, driving crap you have, the better. Like the be- the more just stand-up, nineteen-inch. Uh, it doesn't even have to be nineteen-inch, but you know what I mean. Like the older, just. Uh, upright arcade cabinets, the better. When you start putting in like cruising world and paddle boat games and just this and that, that stuff sucks. It just takes up space. And the mm. more quarter games, the better. Like once it's mm. once it's uh, like a a dollar. If the machine takes a dollar to play, just just send it over to Dave and Buster so it can collect dust. You know that that crap sucks. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel very passionate about that. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Those old games just have cool marquees, and they light up so cool. Definitely. And um, you know, um, and you need bad change machines too, ones that only take like the old dollars and old fives, <laughs> <laughs> so they can spit it out at you fifteen times. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So I've actually changed this specifically so we could talk about it next. But our listener, Dave Smith, who literally we should get on the payroll as like a writer for Attic Aficionados. Because Dave Smith (laughs) is just got like he's now got regular segments that he wants us to run. So anyway, Dave Smith says, everyone loves Evil Dead, including myself. But do you have personal favorite B-horror movies that crack you up that aren't as widely known as Evil Dead? I'll let you start. No, I'm not huge into horror. I like, yeah, uh, I don't even know Evil Dead. I've seen mm. like 10 seconds of one Evil yeah, Dead. Did her. And, uh, In fact, I thought I about remember, watching it last night so I could talk to this point, but I just thought, screw this. I, yeah, I saw that, this is probably like six years ago, I walked in, I think Gunner was watching it so, somewhere, and I was like, dude, what is this? And he's like, you've never seen Evil Dead? And I was like, no, and he didn't believe me, but... I saw somebody shoot a bazooka at somebody and it looked mm. pretty funny. And, uh, but that's it. That's all I saw of it. Oh, I'm sure there's something. I just can't. Uh, go ahead. How about you, Tom? Okay. So I've got to recommend this film. It's not really, it is, I don't know. The girl with all the gifts is like British zombie movie stuff. And I like British zombie flicks within the genre. Um, so I've got to recommend the girl with all the gifts. It's not, you know, amazingly good. But for a Sunday afternoon with the spouse sitting on the couch, it's okay. My whole thing with the horror genre has just been completely ruined. Because in 2001, I lived at a place called the Leicester YMCA. And the Leicester YMCA is three months of my life that has physically scarred me. And after you have those kind of experiences, after you live in a truly horrific place you start to realise that all the horror films are, like, really contrived. Like, you've got to believe these characters, which are, like, two-dimensional. And the whole horror genre, I mean, I think about with Saw films and all these films, it's all just really contrived. If you've lived in a place that is absolutely terrifying, the horror genre just doesn't seem as good. Let me tell you a little bit about the Lester Wyamshire, Brandon. Let me tell you about this place. (laughs) My father's third wife... My father was getting married to his third wife. I arrived in the UK... Wanted a place to stay probably for only about a month while I got myself on my feet, basically. Before they were married, my father's third wife kicked me out. And I went to the YMCA in Leicester. Leicester is about two hours north of London in the UK. It was basically like a refugee place before they deported the refugees. So I had a small room. On one side of me was this fellow and his wife. And 
I would work. I was actually working for Ericsson, the phone company at the time. So I had like a regular nine to five job. But this guy would start beating his wife at about 9.30 in the evening and just keep on beating her until she stopped crying. And this went on and the walls were paper thin. And on the other side, and this is why Tupac isn't in my top five, I had this kid who would play Tupac at like 2am through to 4am and the walls were paper thin. So the guy who beat his wife was really terrifying. I thought eventually he's just going to break down the wall and start beating me or something. He went out for one night and he left his stereo on top blast. And I actually went downstairs. The YMCA was just horrible. It's just like this old, full of mold. And the fleas were so thick there that they actually ate through my big toe. So I have scars all over my feet and legs from the fleas at the Leicester YMCA. But I had so many flea bites, I could actually see the bone on my big toe. Ah. It was like a horrific experience. I was there for three months, and actually I went back to um, Maryland to work with some people. This is when I lived in uh, Rockville, Maryland, for a short period of time, and enabled my legs to heal and this kind of stuff. The stories from the Leicester YMCA are so infamous that when I recorded them on another podcast, I had a listener mix them to music and put them online. I'm just going to share the video on the Attic Aficionado's website, and I'll share it with you too, Brandon. And you can hear the stories of the Leicester YMCA. But once you've lived in a truly terrifying place where all this stuff is going on, horror films just don't have the same, like, impact. Like, they're just not terrifying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the Leicester YMCA would <laughs> be for horror films. Do you have any that you've thought of in the B-grade horror genre? No, I've used to watch it. We used to just pick horrible ones and just watch them and laugh at different stuff. I'm sure I'm just forgetting totally forgetting something we um, may come back to this at a future recording yeah me and london were watching something oh i don't know yeah i'm not huge into the horror thing i i, yes. I, I like more scary movies than horror. i don't even know <laughs> i always watch sleepy hollow i love sleepy hollow um yeah my wife's a sleepy one. hollow fan yep, yep yeah i like that it's it, you got to have a good headless horseman for mm. to, to you know that, that dude is awesome most certainly. Uh, yes. <laughs> Dave Smith continues. In your opinion, what year did movies, TV generally start to suck? Mm, lots of stuff sucked in the 90s. Yeah, I think the 90s <laughs> is definitely a turning point. I'm, I'm, picking, <laughs> yeah. I'm picking 89. That's I'm throwing it out there, maybe 88. But yeah, definitely by... I mean, this is why my wife and I still watch Unsolved Mysteries. By the 90s, TV was a very curious place. Worth exploring at your leisure. Do we have a specific date, though? Are you willing to say 89 as well, or do you have a better date? No, I'll go more like 93. I'll go, oh. yeah, a little bit more into the 90s. You've got to watch the Vintage Unsolved Mysteries then, and then you'd realise how bad TV <laughs> was in 90, 91, 92. This one I like, and I'm going to put this out to you first. Funny stories from your adolescence of being a punk kid and doing deviant shit. Oh, this is too many. It's just too <laughs> many. I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Just, just punk kid stories? Oh, man. We used to skate through the neighborhood after playing hockey when mm. rollerblades came out. And we would just go down this one hill on trash day and just smash everybody's trash cans out in <laughs> the street. And uh, But we did so many other things. I don't even know where to begin. 
I think we should oh. probably, I think we should file this one as a will use in the future at relevant yeah. time. Yeah. Dave Smith Gotta continues. More s- yeah, more specific. That's what we want. Dave Smith, <laughs> yeah. if anyone is going to be more specific, it's going to be you. We want dates. We want times. We want circumstances. We will talk to our punk kid deviant shit associated with that. <laughs> Dave Smith also asks, phrases and slang from the past that you miss or maybe don't miss so much and phrases and slang from today that annoy you. Oh, man. Well, you know what? No one says goober anymore. We used to call uh, people goobers. I don't miss that at all. And uh, now everyone just says, seriously, <laughs> I can't stand, I can't stand that. And then they all say, what? I freaking can't stand that. I can't stand TV talk when the TV makes up these slang things and then oh everybody goodness. just does Associated it. Associated with yeah. the show. Yes. And for yeah. a while, everyone said, that's so this or that's so that. Oh, please just call me in a couple of years. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> Yeah. Crap. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I occasionally find myself around millennials. In fact, it's interesting, actually, because now, for some of my podcasts, there are fan bases that are millennials. I guess for this podcast, maybe even some of the fan bases are millennials. And what fascinates me about millennials is that they have their own language, right? And some of the stuff I find kind of curious. Like, they have this notion of mansplaining, which now, apparently, they just add the word splaining to things. So... Like yeah. toddler splaining or California splaining or all this kind of stuff. Oh. Go yeah, go ahead, keep going. No, 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 no you, 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 no, you interrupt him with a with a sound effect that is worthy <laughs> of changing the topic. Why do you want to take Dude, it? I cannot stand when people say like they use the word hack for everything. Oh, like, my oh, goodness. my shoelace broke. I tied it back together. Yo, man, I hacked my shoelace today. Or, yo, I turned this plastic cup upside down and poked a hole in the bottom. I hacked this plastic cup to hold pencils. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I cannot stand that. You'll be like, ten life hacks that you can't live without. <laughs> it's all great. You wrap rubber bands around around your toes now so so, so they stay warmer. You know what I'm talking mm. about? Yes. Dude, You're not part of a profession worst. that's attached to the word hack. I mean, I'm What's part that? of a profession that's attached to the word hack, like hackers, this kind well, of stuff. Well, that's legitimate. Uh, yeah, that's huh. that's like the real way to use it. I don't I'm think like, even... I think even that's abused. Yeah, okay. I think even yeah. that's abused. <laughs> Let's move on from this highly contentious topic on Athletic Aficionados. Dave Smith's weekly, or at least whenever we choose to record, Dave Smith's movie recommendation of the week. What have you got for us this week, Brent? So, nothing. I didn't watch anything. I tried to watch the movie you sent me. <laughs> okay, let me try this one. Firstly, yeah. I want to point out that this week I have realized that more movies that I would want to recommend on Attic Aficionados are no longer available. And that's... My view is we had this conversation associated with DVDs. There are movies which I would historically recommend that no longer exist on any form of electronic mechanism, which just pisses me off more than anything. Because I've already gotten rid of those DVDs, damn it, and I need to reacquire them if I want to watch the things again. Anyway, so based on this frustration, I went through a few movies that no longer exist. One that you will be able to get is Free Fire by Martin Scorsese. And it's not a high-row film. It's kind of like Reservoir Dogs. It's got a bunch of stuff going on. It's not really like a super recommendation, but I watched it with my wife a couple of weeks ago, and it was not offensive. Lots of footage of people slowly bleeding to death, 
But then again, I went and saw Dunkirk last week. Let's move on from that, Stinker. <laughs> I'm also going to do Dave Smith's favourite books, or favourite book recommendations, I guess, or book recommendations of the week or whenever we choose to record. I wanted to give one here because concise histories, I think, are really fascinating. And my favourite, there's, there's a series called Osprey. It's actually a publishing series from the UK that make really, really thin histories, like 64-page histories. They're in a smaller format book, usually with live pictures, I can typically read three to six of them in an evening. They're a great way to spend an evening. They're a little bit pricey unless you get them on the second-hand market through ABE books. My favourite one from Osprey is Chinese Warlord Armies 1911 to 1930. These are literally like bands of guys, warlords, basically. They're basically gangs that control China. You think of China now as a coherent country, Back in 1911 through to 1930, and I have Chinese co-workers that I've actually asked about this, China was ruled by warlords that went by names like Thunder Penis and, you know, <laughs> Boar's Nuts and things like this. I mean, they had really <laughs> grotesque and curious names, and they ruled the country of China from 1911 to 1930. You will learn stuff that you never knew associated with relatively modern history of a relatively large country through this book. So, um, Philip Jowett, J-O-W-E-T-T, is the author, and Stephen Walsh is the illustrator, Chinese Warlord Armies, 1911 to 1930. I would recommend this. It's from Osprey. It's in their Men of Arms series. And it's just fascinating crap that you would never know otherwise. What I also wanted to warn is that um, I purchased Shady Business, which I recommended last recording. The current edition of Shady Business is absolute crap. Amazon is just pushing these things out there to make money. It's printed with a really, really fine font that is blurry in some cases. I left a scathing Amazon review. I have a original edition copy, which unfortunately now you buy for like 50 bucks. So it's on the other extreme. And I've complained to Amazon and hopefully, but right now, listeners do not buy Shady Business because the new edition ones are just absolutely horrible. Are you ready for compliments time, Brandon? Well, I'm going to give you a movie. It is the original okay. Hunger Games, which uh, just uh. came out. It's the prequel to the Hunger Games. Oh, it's, okay. uh, it's called The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> so so if, if you have not seen The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I suggest watching it at least three times because it's so friggin' awesome. And it is basically The Hunger Games for dudes yeah. <laughs> or anybody that actually likes the movie. And, um, and if you make it through that and you enjoyed it, then go put on Jingle All the Way with Schwarzenegger and watch that three times. And then oh, if you make goodness. it through that, you deserve twins. Watch it as much as you want. Uh, there's some... There's some Arnold movies for you. The Running Man, I okay. think, is an absolute classic. Anyway, are we ready for compliments time? Have you have you prepped for compliments time? Or you just <laughs> no, but I'm ready. Time? I have no idea. Uh, let's go. I would like to pay you a compliment, Tom. I think your height, uh, which I didn't even know before, but is wonderful. And it could see over any defensive line or offensive line. And I bet you'd be great at throwing... Uh, touchdown passes or anything over other semi-tall people and that is just an excellent and amazing thing to have brandon your ability to podcast and hold a newborn is without question the <laughs> most amazing gift and your ability to calm said newborn while podcasting <laughs> live this is superhero status from my perspective 
<laughs> Tom. Your amazing ability to go to so many places and know so many people and have so many interesting stories makes me feel like a listener during this podcast. And I thank you. Brandon, on a similar vein, your knowledge of southeastern Pennsylvania arcades, untouchable. <laughs> I don't think Epic. that counts as a compliment. And worthy worthy of PhD status and should be explored for further in greater detail. <laughs> Well, Tom, I must say I am thoroughly impressed, and this is the greatest compliment you can get, and I double-checked with someone else as well on this, that your ability to grow Webby peppers is amazing, and Webby agrees as well, because it is wow. not an easy thing. Very good. Wow. Gosh, I'm, I'm humbled by such compliments. <laughs> I, have to, I have to congratulate you on recommending Boardwalk Empires and the Tornadoes to me. Both these things, well, Bulwark Empires to a lesser extent, but it was just a huge amount of time that I took away from my general day-to-day life. Thank you for introducing me to these two things. Yeah, I'm glad you liked them. And so ends compliments time for another three to five recordings. (laughs) So, as we are for time, should we go through my topics or your topics first? Go through yours. Okay. Favorite recipes. Favorite recipes. Ooh, pie crust. Don't go out. And buy pie crust. Definitely not. It is like the easiest thing to do. Uh, It's flour, water, and butter. Don't Mm -hmm. use margarine or oil or any of that crap. It's so easy. It tastes better. And read the ingredients in a pre-made pie crust. You're going to – you might as well just smoke smoke a uh, (laughs) – I don't even know. Just don't eat that crap. It's horrible for you. Yes. Although I'm still curious what you'd smoke. But anyway, Cabanara. (laughs) Cabanara for me. I just love Cabanara. I can't get enough Cabanara. Cabanara is the sauce that I will make for pasta from scratch. My wife doesn't like, my wife's not a big in Cabanara, so it's usually a secret sauce or something that I make when she's away. But it's so simple. I mean, the only trick is how much you need to heat the Cabanara sauce to start off with. But basically, and I do a variety of different Cabanaras depending on how I'm feeling. I mean, sometimes I will just do eggs, butter, and a little cheese. If depending on what kind of cream I have or whether I just have milk and a little bit of milk, but typically just eggs, butter, a little bit of cheese and some cream if I have it. And sometimes if I've got a lot of pasta and just one egg and a little bit of ingredients, I won't even heat the sauce first. I'll just add it all together and beat it through the pasta. And then you have the options of what you can do with the additional ingredient. And to be a purist, you have to use ham of some description but I've done it different ways. I've done it with uh, shiitake mushrooms, variety of different kinds of mushrooms, particularly like really woody tasting mushrooms. Absolutely delicious. And sometimes even I've done a breakfast cabanara, which you do with particular kinds of delectable bacon. I'll leave. Oh, that sounds. Yeah, that's making me hungry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I snuck a muffin during the podcast. I just, Ooh. I just <laughs> um, what kind of muffin? Uh, blueberry and banana. Ooh, interesting combination. Yeah, yeah it was pretty good. Um, I gotta say macaroons. Man, they're so easy to make. Uh, you can find a recipe anywhere, but mm-hmm. you don't even really have to. Um, you don't even need a blender or anything. You just throw some shredded coconut in a bowl with a little bit of flour and sweetened condensed milk, and then you mm-hmm. scoop those suckers out right onto a tray, put them in the oven. It's like. You can have macaroons so fast, man. Oh, mm. dude, I love macaroons. Macaroons and macarons. 
So my friend in Australia is like the macaron, which is um, typically like, I don't even know what it's like. It's a puffed batter with like some cream filling in the center. There's oh. macaroons, but people pronounce them differently. And macarons, anyway, I'm not going to talk about macarons in this recording because it was just like a, a long period of time. He's absolutely obsessed with these things, though. <laughs> Australia, uh, McDonald's started serving macarons in Australia. I mean, that's how, like, pr- crazy the macaron game was in Australia. But we'll just move on from that because you weren't talking about that. Let's move on from favorite recipes. I'd like to do favorite recipes more regularly, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We don't talk about food enough in this podcast. I mean, that's just my general feeling. Anyway, best advice ever given, best advice ever received. I, I don't think I've given any good advice. Mm. <laughs> best advice ever received um maybe no dude do you want me to take this yeah you better go okay the best advice i've ever given i've given this to m- a number of people but i gave it to your buddy art in particular was this is a bloody expensive part of the u.s to live and if you're coming here you've got to demand a salary that will make you look away in shame wince anywhere else in the u.s but when you're coming to this part of the u.s you've got to ask for that salary because otherwise you won't be able to live you won't be able to support your family and you're back in westchester faster than you think and uh, <laughs> i give this advice periodically to people my wife had a friend a quilting buddy who came out from texas they lasted here three months they thought oh wow this is amazing money not in the san francisco bay area it isn't anyway uh-huh. so that's the best advice i've ever given <laughs> And actually, it facil- that advice facilitated this very podcast recording. Best advice I've ever received, uh, patience. My grandfather instilled in me, even as a really young kid, that sometimes you just have to wait for stuff to happen. Like, it's hard when you're young. But as you get older, sometimes you realize that time is actually your friend. It's a very curious piece of advice, but it's certainly the best advice I've ever received. Yeah, I like, um, my mom would always say, grass is greener on the other side. I always like that. That's probably that's probably why I never go anywhere else. Yes, that's I'm a, like, that's, it, like the, that's the advice you've lived your life by. Right? Well, like everything looks better in pictures. Just look at a book, and you don't even have to leave your property. Yes, <laughs> National Geographic has ruined me with the U.S. As a kid, I used to read National Geographic. When I went to the Grand Canyon, seen it before. It's better in the magazine. Lake Tahoe, seen it before. It's better in the magazine. Yosemite National Park. Seen it before, better in the magazine. So <laughs> I do understand that mentality, and really the US has been ruined to me thanks to uh, National Geographic. <laughs> Here, here's something, because only because it enables funny stories to be told. Chance meetings with famous actors or actresses. Do you have any of these? No, I don't know. So I have two that I reflect I upon. But yeah. I'll, 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 maybe I'll say behind and then you can think a bit more. Maybe, do you have something? Yeah. No, I don't. I'm trying to think of it. No, I don't think okay. When I was in New York, I spent a bit of time in New York in 2000. The actress, Chloe Sevigny, who was in Kids, which is a movie that you can't get anymore. I couldn't believe it when I was looking. I was going to recommend Kids this week. Kids you can't get anymore. Anyway, Chloe Sevigny was cycling past me. And I, I had like a fifth of a second where I was debating just falling down on the street because I could do that quite comfortably and do it quite normally just when I'm walking along. Without even trying, let Chloe Sevigny ride into me, but didn't do it. The second one, and this is <laughs> this is another film that you can't get on streaming anymore, kids. I don't even know how I should explain this. Let me start by saying, before the internet, this is really curious to say. There's this film called Sirens, which is an Australian film about 
nominally about a an artist whose name escapes me when I record Attic Aficionados. Anyway, it's basically a movie which is an excuse for vast quantities of nudity. This might seem strange to our listeners, but imagine that prior to the internet, film was actually a way that nudity was transmitted to people. Anyway, I was a kid growing up in Australia, and I would get off the bus, and the area that I was in, there were two predominantly, like there was a girls' private school and a boys' private school. I didn't attend either of them. I went to public school, I got off the bus, I had holes in my clothes. And I got off the bus at the girls' school and would walk through a park and then walk to the family home. And these girls would throw their sandwiches at me. I'd get off the bus and they'd literally (laughs) throw their sandwiches at me because I was the poor public school kid getting off the bus. And I started catching the sandwiches and eating them. They were actually really good sandwiches. <laughs> like, I was gonna, what kind were they? Oh my goodness. They had like smoked imported cheeses and like strange <laughs> meats and stuff. They were delicious sandwiches. <laughs> so then they started rubbing the sandwiches in the dirt and then throwing them at me. Oh. Anyway, a couple of years later, I want to say a couple of years, maybe three or four years later, the main instigator, a woman by the name of Kate Fisher, who's changed her name for obvious reasons, uh, appeared in the movie Sirens. And that was the ultimate, I think, the ultimate reverse revenge because she has had a tortured life since. I mean, obviously from childhood bully, sandwich thrower, dirt rubbing sandwich thrower. But yeah, when she appeared in Sirens, I thought, this is a, this is a full stop, the end of this childhood experience. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got one. Okay. Uh, I met, uh, Vernon Wells. He's Australian, isn't he? maybe i don't know he's uh well he's definitely in well he's in commando with schwarzenegger okay uh he's bennett and um i was at a uh, comic con and he was there and um so i went up and started talking to him he was awesome man but yeah i can't remember too many i mean there's a lot of wrestlers at those things that i met Mm. that were that that i always watched you know but Mm. uh but bennett takes the cake interesting so he's the little nerdy guy in commando which one is no, he? No, he's like the main guy that Schwarzenegger fights. He's the main bit, ba- oh, like the I main top Scottish. guy. I'm not sure if he's Australian. I thought he was Scott. Maybe is he from South Africa? Anyway, I'll find out. Oh, maybe you Yeah. Yeah. If you could be any other profession, what would you be? Human? Do, do I have to be a person? Um, I guess you could be a circus <laughs> seal or a lion or... Let's keep it with people for the start, and then if you want to go into animals, we'll go into animals. Any other profession? Mm-hmm. Any profession? Any profession. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. I know what I would. I would be um, uh, second in – no, like third or fourth in charge of picking the uh, action figures to come out. Ooh. I would be t- testing like action figures and yeah. like being like, okay, this one sucks. You got to do this with this one. <laughs> so something along those lines. Yeah. I'd be a DJ, I think. This has actually literally come to me only in three seconds. But when I lived in Vegas, this DJ, DJ AM, who eventually OD'd on um, heroin, his b- billboards were all over Vegas. And this guy looks like a nerd. This guy looks like a super nerd. I mean, he's dead now, but he looked like a super nerd at the time. <laughs> And I thought, if this guy, and I'd listened to his stuff, he was dating, you know, Nicole Richie or something like that. And I just thought, if these nerds are now sex symbols as DJs, I've got the skills on the turntable. What the fuck am I doing with my life? What the fuck am I doing? 
<laughs> but no, I never got back into it. And I just thought to myself, yeah, I would be a DJ, and this is certainly a profession that I think, um, if I could live my life again, if I could influence the children of others, it would be be a DJ, because the techniques that I am did, the whole <laughs> basic DJing techniques, just sold to nightclubs. Anyway, let's move on. First. Let's get into your topics. Have you ever made Easter egg sugar string balloons? Oh, did you ever make these? I'm not sure what they are. Describe them and I'll tell you. All right. You take um, you take a balloon and blow that sucker up really big. Mm-hmm. Like like it's almost going to pop. It's going to be really hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you take a bowl of water and mix a bunch of sugar in. Just mix it. But you got to mm-hmm. mix it really good. I mean mix it, mix it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then get – kite string mm-hmm. and um soak it take mm-hmm. don't unwind it just just soak the whole spool of it in there and uh oh no no wait that's wrong i'm sorry don't put the string in in the, in water. the solution what I, okay what, what am i thinking uh you got to wrap the string around the balloon all over wrap it wrap it wrap it, wrap 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 a ton of it and then you take the balloon and you dunk it in you have to have a big bowl of uh of the sugar water. Get it nice and coated, yeah. and then you you take it and you put it somewhere like on top of your refrigerator or something somewhere real dry and uh, let it let it dry. Let it get hard. It'll take like a week to really mm. get totally hard. And then you pop the balloon and you got this like shell mm. and um and then you like cut a hole in it and you put some Easter egg decorations on it or whatever. But or you could just take this thing and do whatever you want with it. But they're pretty cool. If it pops on you, like they'll pop sometimes when you're dipping it in. There's mm-hmm. it. Oh, it's such a mess. But anyway, alas, no, I've never made those, but they sound fascinating. I'll pass it on to Mrs. Barbelay because she loves Easter-related decorating techniques, and I think this is one that she could adopt. <laughs> very good, very, very good. You ask, what animal would you be? Uh, should I answer first? Yeah. If I could be an animal, I would be one of my pet cats because they live the life. Damn it. I live my life for my cats. They lie around, they get fatter, they meow occasionally. If I'm really lucky, they'll curl up next to me while I'm asleep for so my wife can take humorous photos. But most of the time, they are just kicking it. And yeah. What a life. Yeah. I'd what animal would you be? Probably. Well, no, you know, I've been on the ground so long, i got to go with some sort of hawk. Mm. Like a red tail hawk. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Something along those lines. Something with some talons and a beak. I mean, I like seagulls and all, but. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. I'd like to check out flying around. Yeah. No, that'd be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. What animal would you grant the power of speech? Ooh. (laughs) I think a giraffe. Yeah. They've got to have a really interesting story behind them. How about you? We've got a feral cat. We've had this feral cat for the longest time. And he, when he escapes, and he escapes at least once a week, sometimes he'll be gone for three days. And actually, are you familiar with nextdoor.com? That's like a community website where you you have actual communities. We have just digital ones over here. But when he escaped, when we first moved into the house, I wasn't even on Nextdoor. And people posted a photo essay of our cat living large in the neighborhood. So, yeah, this cat has got a story to tell. I'm just fascinated by how this cat can come back so many. In fact, we've got video footage of him escaping the last time. And basically, he goes to the neighborhood junkyard. I'm sure he, like, fights squirrels and a bunch of other stuff. And then he comes back. I think you'd have a story to tell. Yeah. 
Is there an easy I've, way? Sorry, do you have one more? Sorry. No, I was going to say I've never been on nextdoor.com. It's not worth it. If you've got a real community, as like as you've described, like real, uh, you know, junkyard sales and things like that. Not junkyard. What am I saying? Real, I don't know, yes. sales. And, you know, if you've got a community where the neighbors actually talk to each other, you know, and our community, we don't talk to each other as neighbors. In fact, I've got some Vietnamese neighbors that have just moved in next door. They don't speak English, and I have a better relationship with them than any of my English-speaking neighbours. They <laughs> smile away, and I smile away back. I told them when they moved in, if you leave shoes outside, they will be stolen. The homeless people will come around and take your shoes. And from that one piece of advice, we are best buds. Me and <laughs> all of them. Anyway. Is there an easy way to explain which Star Wars movie you're talking about, especially when the person you're talking to is only mildly familiar? This is the problem of my life, Brandon. You've condensed it to one attic aficionado. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, there isn't. Is there? Do you know a way to say this it? Is my, this is my life. Half my experiences existed in another country at another time that no longer exists. Even people that live in that country don't understand. So it's like a good portion of my life exists in a way that I can't explain to anyone. <laughs> Like, my wife gets little snippets of it because she meets people like my father's second wife, my stepmother. But really, you can't see the full trajectory. And when I talk, like, what you hear on Attic Aficionados, ladies and gentlemen, is a small portion of my life. The rest of my life is absolutely batshit crazy. And my wife, who has been married for 15 and a half, nearly 16 years, known her for 17 plus years, has heard almost every story I have to tell. And yet mysteriously it makes absolutely no coherent sense to her until she goes to various parts of australia and has various experiences and these kind of things my whole life is talking about a movie that no one else has watched but me i get this problem all the time let's move on to your next question why do computers slow down this is a fascinating question do you want me to give it to you or do you have some theories no no i want to hear what you got to say computers if you think of computers purely about the technology, you don't understand. The technology obviously gets better and things get better. The main thing about computers, which is Apple and Microsoft and all these companies, is about fashion. Computers are about fashion just as much as they are about technology. So when you think of user interfaces, when you think of the way in which you use computers and the colors and all this kind of stuff, that's been designed by someone. That's not technology. That's not raw technology. That's some designer creating something which becomes part of fashion, which people get used to. It's a bit like why do fashions from the 1980s look out of date? They look out of date because we've experienced them and we've moved on. And there have been other newer fashions that we've learnt about. The actual technology, and this is something I love doing. When I was in Australia, I couldn't get access to the newest computers. I would take old computers and I would use them with new user interfaces to get them looking like they were new computers which is a really easy technique to do. So my perspective is computers slowed down, not just because of the actual hardware slowing down, but because they look unfashionable and out of date. And I mean, yes, there is a clunkiness factor as well, which is just associated with software is like a story that never ends. If they start writing it, they continue writing it, it gets more and more complicated, gets more and more volume, requires more and more processing. Working in technology rarely you have the opportunity to make things simpler you just constantly have to add new stuff and you do get to refine at certain times you do get to rewrite some things but basically two things fashion and this long story that is software just getting more and more complicated does that make sense brandon yeah it does but 
Now, bear with me. Like, let's say I take, um, let's just say I take a MacBook mm-hmm. uh, from, let's say, 2006, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So I get it in into, let's say it's 2006, I get it, and mm-hmm. it feels really fast. And uh, and by fast, I just mean, oh, you open any program and you play anything. You don't even have to be online. You know, mm-hmm. you open iTunes, you open iMovie, whatever. Uh, and then n- now 10 years go by, and I have let's say whatever I've run whatever updates or whatever and and it's slow again so I I reformat the hard drive and I put the original uh, system mm-hmm. disk in and start it as if it was 2006 again I don't update I don't go online mm-hmm. or anything why is it slower because your perception hard... of computing has changed is that what it is it's just my feels view, itch. My view it is was that slow it, all the look, time. what I used to do in Australia was I wouldn't get new computers so I'd only use old computers. So I would use the crap out of old computers and basically find ways of making them look better and making the processing work faster through a variety of different factors. It's the perception of new computers where you could do more stuff. Part of it is fashion. Our brains are really tailored to fashion. But part of it is also that if you use a new, faster computer that's doing 15 different things, and this whole notion of software as a story is something I like to describe to people because that's what it is. It's adding new things basically continuously and just relying on the fact that the computer is getting faster to take a lot of the stuff in. Now, true, there's different analysis, particularly associated with how to improve, which is the whole, you probably know this implicitly, but I'll say it explicitly. When a game console first comes out, the stuff that's written for it is not as good as the stuff that's written after two years. Like actually writing software takes some degree of experimentation and reflection, which means that when a console first comes out, the games that come out for it, unless... They've worked really heavily with the people that are actually making the console, which is more the story now. They're always going to be a little bit a little bit slower and more clunky than the games that come out a year later because they've had better time to optimize. But yeah, it's a multi multifaceted thing, but in general it's associated with actual speed, perception, fashion, and the software thing, which continues to grow. Does the hardware break down? Not typically. I mean some things do. Um, so I've got a bunch of old computers where the disk drives don't work anymore. The right. hard disks might nominally become slower. There are various things which, me- like, mechanically might become a little bit more clunky, but most of the computers that I maintain don't have mechanical hard disks anymore. They use, like, RAM disks and this kind of stuff. And really, actually, a lot of it is perception. So I've got a bunch of software that I've written, historically. I mean, Noble Ape I've written for, you know, since 96. And I have old computers that I take back and run Noble Ape on periodically. I've got a bunch of the Schmuck West games we talked about. You know, I've got a bunch of games. And from my perception, they aren't running any slower, given exactly the same hardware constraints. They're running exactly the same speed. But when I run them on faster computers, they look a damn sight faster, and I can put in different tweaks and techniques to, you know, make them run differently. So Okay. Oh, that's I don't think awesome. there's anything mechanical that's actually, like, meaningfully think- slowing down. Yeah, I didn't think there was either. That's why I was like, well, what, why does it seem so slow? Perception. Yeah, uh, uh, that's cool. Is there yeah. an easy way to disable modern car functions such as annoying beeps <laughs> when you lock your doors or the auto-lock feature? Oh, Brandon, this again. So much to say about this topic. Get in there first. I can't stand it. Every time you get out of the car somewhere, you just hear like 50 car horns going. I'm like, I get it. Just freaking lock it with your hand before you get out. And do you really have anything that people need in there? We, as a civilization, are getting more noisy, more beeping, more annoying. 
I mean, it's like, you know, when you go into fast food restaurants originally, they had all these noises and I thought, well, this is insane. Now it's part of everyday life. And the worst part about it is through the work that I do, I have to be a party to this constant. When I talk about a hunting lodge in Pennsylvania, not Pennsylvania, but in, well, maybe they're a hunting lodge in Pennsylvania as well. When I talk about one in West Virginia, it's to get away from this noise stuff, which is continuous around me. My wife and I stayed at a golf club, a deserted golf club, uh, a couple of years ago, and there was no sound in that place. It was amazing. It was pitch black, and there was no, there were no one, the, uh, 15, 20 miles before the next human. It was a dream. That is uh, my dream for the future. Yeah, that's awesome. It's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. It's not getting better. They're adding more beeps and more clicks and more noises to everything. And we just got to live with it in some, like, we're McDonald's workers in the 1980s. That, I cannot stand the, um, I've never owned a new car, by the way. But mm. if I went in to buy a new car, I mm. would be like, there's no way I'm buying a car with that auto lock crap. You get out of the car, you shut the door, you walk away, you come back. I'm like, why are you locking? I didn't tell you to lock. That is, it's so, it's so annoying. The problem is that these things are... In this country, and really in any country, you live in Europe or this kind of stuff, you're getting every country's legislative requirements. In this country, every state's legislative requirements put into a car. So some person in North Dakota, some, you know, local council member has mandated some crazy shit that then has to go into every car in this country. It's only getting worse. It's not getting better. There's no notion. Spam calls while we're on this topic. This is awesome. This Spam is calls best. are just not, like, they don't stop. I've, I've got a cell phone, which is my work cell phone, which I've got to keep on in case Netflix blows up. It could happen, and I'll be called, believe me. And some timeshare, the Delgados, whoever these fuckers ever were, owned <laughs> this phone five and a half years ago with their timeshare. I still get three calls a week about their timeshare. My favourite, however, when we bought our house in Las Vegas, the number we inherited... The previous people were delinquent on their Bank of America mortgage. We had a mortgage with Bank of America. We still... No, we don't. No, it's some other company now. Anyway, we get these delinquent mortgage calls from Bank of America. And I said, I'm a Bank of America customer. You have my telephone number. You you know, I'm paid up on my mortgage. I have accounts with you. I'm putting money through you. Why are you still phone harassing me? The guy told me, and I remember his name. His name was Damien. He told me to change my telephone number. And when I got that friendly call from Bank of America saying, can you please rate your previous call with Damien? I, I rated the hell out of that call. Anyway, <laughs> um, just never stop. Oh, I used to get one. It was, it would, you'd pick up the phone and it would say, it would be a boat horn. Mm. Have you ever got that? Yeah. This is the captain calling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is a feature on the iPhone though that you can block every one that any call that's not in your contacts. Yes, I block about 85 a year in that, just from these. But they call from random numbers. I actually put together, back in the mid-2000s, I had a blog that was read by a very small number of people. But the people that would come to my <laughs> blog, because I'd post every time i get one of these calls. And I had, like, stories of people that were, oh, what was the one? There was one company where the guy was based out of Canada and he gave money to a school at Oxford University, one of the colleges at Oxford University. This guy had made money through phone scams, and he'd given a huge chunk of cash so he could be 
one of you know the dignified custodians of Oxford University in the UK. I created a knowledge base associated with this guy where the Canadian Mounted Police used my website as a reference to bring this guy down. Oh, spam calls. Anyway, last of the questions for this evening, and then you can go and have another muffin, Brenda. Your absolute uh, number one favorite smell. Oh, number one? I like stinkor. Continue. You're not supposed to blow my cover. I like stinkor from He-Man. He smells so good. He's supposed to smell bad, but he smells good. He smells like some alternate version of Drakkar. He smells pretty good. Um, Yeah, I think I like that. And I like uh, cinnamon smells pretty good when it's bacon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that smells pretty good. Uh, How about you, Thomas? I think it's called a yellow box eucalypt. It's a very particular kind of eucalypt tree. Which <laughs> You're I really so Australian. Bring over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yellow box. Eucalypt. Eucalypt. Uh, what, uh, let me find another smell. <laughs> All the other smells I couldn't put out in publicly accessible podcast form, but I'm more than willing to share other smells with you when finally we eventually meet. But no, yellow box eucalypt, definitely. And, um... My grandfather's box that has his soldering iron and stuff, when I imported it to this country, I filled... Well, I didn't really fill it with yellow box flowers. The yellow box flowers would drift into my grandfather's workshop. And, uh, yeah, so when I imported the soldering iron, it had a bunch of yellow box flowers. So every, I don't know, two years or so, I just open it up and I sniff really big. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like, like the smell of Christmas trees. Ooh, At, yeah. You know, like when you bring them in the house, mm-hmm. like any of that pine. Although outside, they don't really do anything for me. <laughs> I like the smell of hard water, preferably in a toilet, and hardwood floors. And this is another smell that I found only very recently. One of our listeners, actually, I met up with him at his folks' place in a place called, I think it was Medlo Park. And um, his parents had, like, hardwood floors. And I went into the restroom, and I could smell the hard water in the toilet with the hardwood floors... And that, again, brought me back to my grandparents' house. But it's so hard to get smells from my childhood in this country. Like, it's really, really difficult. So most of the time I'm just smelling, like, pollutants and carcinogens and all the usual stuff. And there's a bookstore here. If you come by, we're going to take you. It is in this old wooden place, man. It is like a million years old. I'm just going to let you get in there and just start sniffing away. Oh, my goodness. That's another thing. But that's, that's not a unique smell. That is, like... So many different smells. I'm like, um, like, like a, a police dog in the, like, a police, whatever they confiscated customs room when then I'm in a bookstore. Oh, man. All possible areas. It has been a pleasure as always, Brandon. Let us, uh, likewise recombine. Let us find new questions. Let's find new directions. Let's explore, preferably next week or whenever we get together again. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah. Take care, Tom. See ya.